This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 6. This is Writing Excuses, the experience of time. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And the part of Dan today will be played by two gerbils with a harmonica. <laughs> Today we once again have Mehdi Ivy Harrison. Thank you so much, Mehdi, for joining us uh, once again. Hello, everyone. And we um, actually jumped to this topic for our podcast because Howard, between casts, was telling a wonderful story that I thought, we can use this. And that's what writers do, right? We look for things we can we use. We totally use these Just things. like yeah. our last cast, this is life experience that we are using. Howard, tell us your story. Okay. All right. So so here comes some creative nonfiction. Okay. Um uh, very snowy morning, uh, driving on uh, a road uh, 2230 north in Provo. It's a sort of a shallow hill that uh, hits a four-way stop and then further down, it, or not a four-way stop, a two-way stop. It goes straight through and there's a traffic light and I'm driving and the car in front of me, you know, it's early morning, everything's dark. The car in front of me puts on its brake lights uh, at the top of the hill and then accelerates away from me with the brake lights on as it's descending the hill. And immediately a portion of my brain registered the fact that this is not something that cars should do when they're applying the brakes. And that this whole descending patch of hill was covered in black ice and I needed to, I needed to take steps. So I looked around at the, you know, the intersection to see which way I could go. And unfortunately, uh, the, the cross street, there was a car turning on one side and there was a car turning on the other side and there was a car, you know, kind of cracked up in the middle of the intersection and the car that was in front of me was probably going to hit him. I don't actually remember what happened to that car, but, uh, I looked at all this and realized I have, I have nowhere to go. Everybody's, the intersection is full. And then my brain rewrote the scene and I realized those people aren't turning. Those are people who've tried to do exactly what I was going to try to do and have failed and slammed their cars into curbs. And there is no place for me to go except maybe this front yard that's on the other side of the street. As you know, the street hooks to the right and this uh, front yard is on the left side. And so I aimed for the front yard, figuring that there'd be some traction uh, once I got off the street where the black ice usually forms. And sure enough, uh, I hit this I hit this uh, driveway and front yard and was able to get control of my car again um, and uh, hooked the car to the right. And now I'm on the left side of the street in the grass. Well, the snow, uh, you know, on the driving on the sidewalk um, and a car passes me on the on the right, you know, oncoming traffic. And I realize, oh, well, it's clear now I could just drive back onto the road. I've missed the whole accident. Um, multiple accidents. And so I pulled back onto the road and, you know, adrenaline is pounding and I was shaky for, you know, for the whole day. Well, as I have driven through that intersection, uh, every time I've driven through that intersection in the intervening 20 years, I've looked at that scene and I've realized there is no way I had that much time mm -hmm. to do that much thinking. There's no way that picture could be that clear. I, I try and overlay the scene. I can't imagine there being enough space for my car to do what my car did. 
Um, something about the memory, something about the experience has compressed the time and altered the space. I mean, I know which side of the road I was on. I know that I pulled it off, but... Uh, You're not dead. I'm not dead, and there were no dents on my car. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's... Um, I think the, the compression of time is something that's really interesting. Yeah. One of the things that kicked this off was, uh, was Mehdi was talking about a really horrific race that she was in. And and I want to get this example in, and then I want to very quickly bring up a non-traumatic example of yes. compression of time, okay. and then talk about ways that you can use this and why we're talking about these three examples. Do you mind telling us about your horrific accident? Oh, yeah. Um, so I was in a bike accident. In the bike portion of triathlon, there's a, usually a sprint distance and an Olympic distance. And the sprint distance is half of the Olympic distance. So there's a turnaround point often and volunteers are out there and their job, their main job at this turnaround point is to make sure that the people who are turning um, move to the center of the lane and, and they have to make a really tight turn. But that has to happen because if the people who are turning uh, are to the right, they're going to crash into the people <laughs> who are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this particular intersection, they didn't have volunteers who understood how important their job was. And um, I wasn't being careful enough as an athlete and now I'm very, very cautious at these turnaround sections. So I barreled through um, as the volunteers were saying, come on through. And this person um, turned right into me. And I had this weird sensation of the realization that I was going to hit him it seemed to last the, the, the moment between when I knew I was going to hit him and the time when I actually hit him seemed to last a long time. Um, even though I was aware of the fact that it was happening quickly, but um, I had no time. There, there was no, there was no chance for me to stop it from happening. That's why it seemed like it lasted forever because my reaction time wasn't fast enough to apply the brakes or do anything. And then I hit him, and we both collapsed. And in fact, I and ended up finishing the race, although I was still bleeding by the by the end of the race. Um, but it was one of those moments where I thought. As a writer, I was yeah. thinking in this very moment, wow, time really did seem to stretch out. And um, I, I had never, I'd read about that happening before, but it, that was the first time that where I actually experienced that. So the, the example that I, I have is something that is counter to this, which is a time when, uh, when time apparently just vanished. Um, and it's, I fell down the stairs. Um, and basically, I, I can, I've reconstructed what happened, which is that I was on a ship and I was reaching for something on a shelf, and my foot went out from under me. My experience of it was I was at the top of the steps, and then I was at the bottom of the steps. There was no intervening time in between. The difference, and this is important, I think, for a writer to understand, Mm -hmm. is the difference is between the anticipation and the surprise. Everything that happened to me after I hit the bottom of the stairs, I remember very, very clearly because the adrenaline had kicked in at that point. What happens when you get adrenaline is that it speeds up your perception of time. So, or it speeds up your, your reactions, but not enough sometimes to deal with things. Right. So that is part of why it seems like you have more time to deal with all, to, to process all hmm. of this stuff. So if your character can see an accident coming, the adrenaline is going to kick in. And that's when you have this thing where it seems like it takes an eternity because the adrenaline is there. When your character doesn't know that something is coming, that's when you'll get those reactions where you get just snapshot images. Mm. You know, the the um, the other one for me was we were driving, and uh, and 
you know, did not know that there was an icy patch on the road, and we had done a 360 before we had a chance to react to it. Yeah. 360's way better than 270. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> 360 mountain pass, no guardrail. <laughs> we are so lucky we aren't dead. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a really interesting thing because it's, it's an actual experience. It's an actual, um, it, it happens to people. It's mm -hmm. an actual uh, phenomenon. But it's also a cliche. Yes. Um, and this is, I've run into this difficulty in my writing before. I'm like, all right, time slows down. Wait, I can't write that. That's a cliche. And the problem with the cliche, and a cliche exists because it's usually related to something real, but once it becomes a cliche, it kicks readers out. They, they read that and they've read it so many times that it loses meaning and it either stops them from reading or it stops them from paying as much attention because it's just, it's, it's meaningless phrases. And so it's a challenge as a writer to convey this idea to maintain your reader's uh, attention while using it because it is a real phenomenon and is somewhat useful as a writer, as a tool. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to how much groundwork you have laid. I mean, like mm -hmm. any anything that is unbelievable or... Uh, or you know, or, or might be perceived as trite. How much groundwork you've laid into uh, into that before you go into the thing, into the thing, and right. and how firmly you are into the character's POV. If you say time slowed down yes. for him, that's where you run into problems, and that that mm -hmm. is frankly lazy writing. Yeah. But if you demonstrate the slowing down of time, right? If you show instead of tell, yeah. you can see in Howard's story that he slowed down his narrative and did all of these sorts of things, and then afterward gave the, there's no way I could have thought all of that. Yeah, yeah. He, he did a show in his story. Mm -hmm. And in and that, that last bit, you know, there's no way I, I could have actually thought all mm -hmm. that. I will tell that bit when I am telling the story as an example of the compression of time. Right. If I'm just talking about, you know, lucky ducky snow driving mm -hmm. and, uh, and getting away with it, um, I tell the story without the time compression and mm -hmm. I describe it the way I experienced it. Right. Um, because, because that's how I experienced it. Now, let's stop for our book of the week. Um, actually, Mehdi has our book this week. It's Deja Dead. Uh, Deja Dead is the first in Kathy Reich's uh, 20 book series about Temperance Brennan. You may think that you know Temperance Brennan from the TV show Bones, where... Um, uh, Emily Deschanel plays uh, a character who's named Temperance Brennan. But the character in Kathy Reich's series is quite different. She is an anthropologist, and she does um, deal mostly with people who with bodies that have been dead for quite some time. And she has a very scientific way of describing death and bodies, um, which I find interesting. It, it, but it is never as gross, in my opinion, as the TV show sometimes is. And I find the character to be very warm and interesting in a completely different way. So if you like the Bone series, or even if you don't like it, you might want to try um, Deja Dead and um, experience a, a really interesting forensic anthropologist. Excellent. Head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership. Pick up Deja Dead by Kathy Reichs. Mm -hmm. um, and... and have someone someone read Temperance Brennan to you uh, in a format where she is a little more socially adept. Yes. Now, um, I love this topic of the passing of time in books because as a writer, you have a lot of control over this. Um, I've said before, if you wanted to, I don't know that it would make a great story, but maybe it's a challenge to do so, you could have 100 pages take place in one moment. 
the mm -hmm. Wheel of Time, famously, covers two years, um, and yet it took 20-plus years to write, um, and, well, 20 years to write, and um, it took, it covered, you know, it covered 14 thick volumes, and that's two years. At the same time, you could write, a, I've read short stories, in which eons pass, and you have this ultimate power as a writer to control how time is flowing, and it's one of your tools as a writer that I think a lot of writers don't recognize as a tool they can use. And I think one of the reasons that writers forget about it is that when you need to have a lot of time passing, you have to to ignore the show don't tell and in fact tell. Yes, you do. You have to do a lot of telling to have time pass quickly. And it's kind of, um, we've talked about this juxtaposition before that telling is faster than showing. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, and so a lot of times, you know, you would think the opposite. Oh, well, if I show, I'm saving words because I'm not doing these long explanations. No, it's the other way around. Yeah. You're using more words to bring the, the reader into the moment the characters are feeling. When I commuted to work, uh, back in the days when I worked for Novell, um, regularly I would arrive at work with no memory of the drive. Mm. And I was worried about this. I thought, well, how can, th that's not safe. I was driving asleep. No, it's not that it's not safe. It's that what happened is my short-term memory processed all the things that were going on and said, you know what? There are no lessons to be learned here. Everything worked the way we expected it to work. I'm not going to bother committing this to long-term memory. There are other things to do with the brain. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I got to work, nothing was in long-term memory about the drive. I mean, I could not remember it. And I bring that up because um, if your book is doing something where mm -hmm. nothing plot important happened you know, during this space of time, uh, the, the characters changed positions on the stage, um, but there weren't big lessons to be learned, then you can get away with the, sh with the tell instead of the show because you're moving into a point where you're now going to show because right. important things are going to happen. As a, as a writer, I sometimes, as an early writer, um, got worried about having too much time passed where I'm like, will the reader feel like, oh no, if this much time has passed and I've missed these moments in the characters' lives, will, will it leave some sort of regret to them? Um, and then I studied the Harry Potter books, in which a, uh, a year passes in each book. And they work wonderfully. Their passage mm -hmm. of time gives a sense that the school, school year is progressing and it, that things are happening. And they work wonderfully for that, comparing that to something like one of Jim Butcher's books, where he compresses everything into a couple of days, usually. And it is a wonderful tool that he uses <coughs> because it, it gives a sense of, oh, no, all this stuff is happening. Well, one thing that, that both of these examples, I think, um, or highlight is something to, to pay attention to is signposting. That you mm -hmm. actually need to cue readers how much time has passed anytime you have a scene break. Right. Um, that, that they will try to figure out how much time has passed. And some of the ways you can cue them are, um, you know, you can, you can do the flat out and say, since yesterday, she had done, you know, or in the past three months. Right. But you can also do it, so that's, that's the telly way, but you can also do it in the showy way, which is, you know, autumn leaves outside. Mm -hmm. And now the golden sun of summer. You know, it's, you can cue them, but you do need to cue people, otherwise they will spend time trying to figure it out, or they will place it in the wrong period and... Yeah, it'll, it'll throw them off. It'll there was an episode them. of The Simpsons in which... Um, it was a, 
the, the, the whole story centered around um, fertility drugs and Apu, I think, who uh, he and his wife ended up with like eight kids. Um, and, and so nine months need to take place, need to pass in the middle of the episode. Um, and there is a point in the middle of the episode where the screen says nine months later and Bart makes a passing reference to some adventure he's had where he's learned this incredible lesson and Lisa makes commentary about it and Homer says something that sounds almost wise and then we cut to the cut to the delivery room and I remember looking at that and thinking this is the writers of the Simpsons saying it's okay in this situation to tell instead of showing except we really should have shown you these things, but we're not because it's funnier for us to call attention to the fact that we didn't. Yeah. And, and one of the things in that, aside from the, um, you know, this is whether or not it's moving the plot narratively forward, um, is that, that, that what that does is it, it does also give this the emotional sense of time having passed. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's not enough to just signpost if you need the emotional sense that time has passed. Yep. Um, so that's that's when you wind up getting training montages. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which are yes. also a, a cliche, but the reason they exist is because is to give you the emotional sense of having someone put that time in. Um, so one of the ways you can do that as a writer is, I mean, you can do the training montage, but you can also pay attention to other pacing tricks like, uh, paragraphing, scene yeah. breaks, you know, longer paragraphs feel like they take longer because right. it takes longer to read. Yep. And the, the idea of the kind of the thriller pacing where each chapter ends with a hook into the next chapter gives a sense of frantic pacing and everything being compressed where coming to a narrative resolution with the breather, um, it gives a sense of time is passing um, and we are done with this part of the book and moving on to yeah. another part of the book. So the chapter that ends with, uh, you know, Sensei, how was that? And Sensei says, that was awful. Do it again. Right. Mm -hmm. And the chapter ends. Well, we know mm -hmm. that he's going to do this a hundred more times yep. and we can skip that. Yeah. So the implication is, a, is also an important tool that you can use. Um, one of the things that uh, one of the the uh, things that I read when I was in college in Stephen Bruce's uh, *The Sun, the Moon, and the Stars*, which mm -hmm. has been very useful to me and and is useful in this context. Uh, there's a it's a wonderful book, but there's a painter and he talks about the creative process as being um, long stretches of minutes followed by short bursts of hours. And I think that this, when you're looking at what to mm -hmm. to do with your character and how to, how to make that decision about how long to spend on something. That part of what you're looking at is how important it is to the character and where it ties into their area of expertise. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a very lucid point. We are out of time. So it felt like it went so yeah, fast. Yeah, it went so quickly. Those uh, gerbils with that harmonica. Were Uh, Mehdi, will you give us a writing prompt? By the way, I want to give a special thanks to Mehdi who came to record this session for us because Dan is audaciously, uh, yes, still in Germany. He, he, he refuses to come back. Um, he will be back eventually. But thank you so much, Mehdi, 
Um, can you give us a writing prompt to take us out? You're welcome. Um, the writing prompt is, I want you to go back and find something that you've already written that has a sort of traumatic moment where you have used a cliche, and I want you to try to find a way to make that cliche more um, literary and more true to the specific character. So get some specifics in there about how this character experiences trauma and the time passing. All right. Thank you so much. You listeners, this has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.